You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. second Sunday of Lent. Um, we are in this second week of a series that we've been walking through called Restore. There's a little pamphlet in your prayer book. Take that out, take it home, put it on the refrigerator, read the back of it. It kind of tells you a little bit more about what we're doing. But in this series, we've been praying through the book of Psalms. We've been looking at Psalms every week in hopes of learning, kind of taking on for ourselves, um, becoming fluent in the language of repentance and restoration. Giving us the kind of language we can turn to God to God restore us. So last week, uh, we looked at, uh, we prayed that God would restore us to safety. And we saw that in Jesus, not only do we have safety, but we have this shelter, this refuge, this sure defense, like none other. That's what we have in Jesus. This week, uh, we are asking God to restore our sight. The way we see things, our sense of things. God, restore our sight, that we might behold his beauty, as the psalmist said. That we might see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's our prayer. And let's look at Psalm 27. That's where we're going to be. So these prayers that we, we've been praying every week, these are attributed to David. We, some of us know that. If you didn't, there you go. It's attributed to David. David had um, problems like the rest of us. We like to paint David as this like perfect guy. But we all, if you read the story of David, man, he was messed up, just like the rest of us. He's pretty messed up. But with all his troubles, he deeply desired to see the beauty of God. He so longed to be in the presence of God. He wanted to see that not only was God near, but that God, Yahweh, would fight for David. He so longed for that. David's prayer in this psalm, Psalm 27, it reflects that. and does so in a very visual kind of way. There's a lot of visual going on. He essentially prays that God would restore his sight, that he might see the reality of God's beauty and protection in his life. It's really simple form. It comes down to this one verse. He says it really clear. Just in case, you know, the rest of it, we don't kind of gather and get a hold of. He says this in verse 4. One thing I ask, Lord, that I will seek after. This is the one thing I want. To live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. That's what David wants. That's the one thing I want, Lord. Just one thing. Not asking a bunch. Here's the one thing I want. I want to behold your beauty. I want to wonder about, appreciate. I just want to enjoy. I want to be in the presence of God's beauty and enjoy it. Take hold of it. Pass into it. To live in the household of God, he says. To spend time at the feet of God, learning from God in his presence. We can see this, can't we? And there's something in our hearts even that kind of longs for that as well, I think. For me, certainly. For, for David, though, seeing, when he talks about beholding God, seeing for him was much more involved than just watching God. It wasn't just kind of gazing upon and just, oh, I saw that. No, for David, it was much more involved than watching. He wanted to live in the house of God, in his presence. Not to be far away or cast away or overlooked, like the, the prayer says. But he wanted to dwell in the house of God his entire life, my whole life long. May I dwell in your house, O oh Lord. And be surrounded, covered, wrapped in your presence. We might say, David was saying how he wanted to commune with God. 
This prayer might be difficult for some of us. This is one that sounds beautiful, doesn't it? There's things in our hearts that are like, yes, this sounds wonderful. But it actually, if we're honest, if we just be, just have some intellectual honesty here, this might be really difficult for some. Because it assumes quite a bit about God. It assumes that God is good. It assumes that God is beautiful. For some of us, we're like, of course, of course. But actually, for others, they're not so sure this is the truth. How, how can we know that God is good and beautiful? Do I really want to dwell in his house forever? If I'm not sure if he's good or beautiful? How can we honestly engage in this prayer? How can this prayer become our prayer if we don't actually believe God is good and beautiful? For instance, if deep down you really think, and by the way, I'm not speaking to some like, uh, you know, categorical skeptic that we're all looking at going, yeah, those skeptics. No, I'm talking about us. Let me show you. Deep down, when you picture God, when you relate to him, do you see the good, beautiful God, or do you see a God who is angry with you? Who's not quite pleased with your performance lately? That's a different God than a good and beautiful God. Maybe it's a God who's trying to trick you into doing something. Maybe it's a God who's just really not interested in you. You pray. There's nothing on the other end. He must be busy. I think if we're honest, we can all kind of relate to some of those things. We may not really genuinely and truthfully be able to say, I want to dwell in your house, God, because I really believe you're good and beautiful. When we look at God, when we think of God, when we pray to God, for some of us, this is like a really difficult thing. All we see when we look toward God is confusion and questions and uncertainty and pain. In the place of life that we may be in, we might find our view of God distorted in that way. Where was God? Where were you, God, when I needed you? And when I was going through that pain, I called out for you. I asked you for help. Where were you then? Maybe asking something similar. How, God, how can you exist? How can this good and beautiful God exist when we live in a world of suffering and pain? How are we, as these people who live in the real world, like on the ground, think about what's happening in the headlines. How can we honestly pray, God, I just want to seek your face because we know you're good and beautiful and you care about our needs and we want to dwell in your presence. It's one thing to pray these nice words in the Psalms. It's quite another thing to realize how they hit the ground in our everyday struggles and challenges in life. When we are surrounded by trouble and there seems to be no way out. Show yourself to us, God. I think it's really an honest prayer that we can share. We can't see you, God. Where are you? Now, I don't want to pass over these questions really flippantly because I think these are like really serious questions that all of us share. These are serious questions. But praying this song provokes something really interesting about those questions. I think it, it actually takes all of those questions and says, yes. Those are, those are tough ones. But there's actually a more interesting question. David doesn't pray, for instance, God, I can't see you. Where are you? In other places he may. But in this psalm, he says something quite different. He admits a profound longing, a desire beneath all of the frustration that he may have in his life without being surrounded by his enemies, like we said, like we read in this song. He's surrounded. I mean, it's like it's over. This guy is in serious danger. He should have, he should be stressing out. He should be losing sleep. He should be like trying to fix it, do something about it. And instead of saying, God, where are you? We see something well beneath 
the turmoil, something quite different. He says this, one thing I ask, God, I want to see your beauty. I want to see your beauty. Which maybe implies that he isn't seeing God's beauty. I think that doubt in God's existence or presence is actually just not as interesting as the fact that for some reason we desire to behold the beauty of God. Follow me on this. Yes, we have our doubts about God. Yes, we may wonder if he's good and beautiful. But why do we want to see him in the first place? Why are we talking about this in the first place? What has God placed within us that so desires that one thing that we may see the beauty of God? To go further, to make it even more interesting, what if our biggest challenge in seeing God and beholding his beauty isn't God? What if our challenge is our vision? What if the broken thing in the equation is us? What if we Think about this. What if we are the instruction in our vision of God? What if sin, that real condition in our lives, what if that has actually taken such root in us that it has somehow jacked up our sense of knowing that God is not somewhere else but is present and his beauty is to be seen for us and somehow we're just missing it? What do we do then? When we can't see. My buddy, I have a really cool friend. I have lots of really interesting people friends. One of my buddies, Brian, he's a helicopter pilot. And uh, we were brewing some beer the other day and talking about, you know, helicopter stuff. And that's pretty interesting. He was talking to me specifically about flying a helicopter at night. I found this really fascinating. He said 80% of a pilot's ability to tell where they are and how judge kind of where they are in the landscape, if they're sideways or upside down or straight, uh, is visual. 80% of their sense of making sense of their orientation in the world is visual. So what happens at night when you can't see anything? I ask. It's like, well, sometimes the moon is really nice and it helps you out. Sometimes the moon is nowhere to be found and it is pitch black outside. And so he says, so you got to use your instruments. You can't see out the window, so you have to look at the dash and actually look at all these instruments, these meters that are, to us, would be like there's a million things going on. But this man has so habituated his sense of seeing with the instruments that he is now an expert at flying. When he can't see anything out the window, he can rely and trust in his instrumentation to tell him, yep, you're flying straight. Or nope, you're kind of tilted to the left, you're headed west, and you should be headed north. So when the time comes, and the pilot can't see, and the moon is not out... They actually still can see. Pilots have faith in their instruments. They're all in the practice of becoming familiar with it. They have faith in their instruments to give them eyes to see in the pitch black of night. I think this is really relates to what we're talking about. I think this is really interesting. In the darkness that surrounds us, that finds us, because darkness finds us all. This is something that we all share. The sin in our lives have messed up those internal instruments, our vision. We become so disoriented to what is true and good and beautiful. Sometimes we can't even tell when God is so standing right in front of us and in our presence. Our instrumentation is all messed up. We don't even notice how broken we are until this really interesting moment. I know you can, you can relate to this. You don't even notice how broken you are until you are surrounded in despair. And you've got no way out. Like David with his enemies all around him. Some, there's some clarity that comes in that moment of crisis. The skeptics in us, it says this in those moments. Show me, God. Show me yourself and I will believe. 
This is, a, this is a myth, I think, and a deeper problem of sin in us. Plenty of folks saw the goodness of God. Plenty of folks came face to face with Jesus. They saw his healing. They, they saw his power of healing. They saw him casting out the devil like we heard in the readings. Just watch. Look, I'm healing people. I'm casting out evil. You tell that fox that when I'm done, I will leave. But I'm not done until I'm done. You go tell them what you've seen. He warns them. You're blind because you don't believe. How eager God has been to gather his people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, under his wing. How eager, how present You have to be present to gather your people. God is present. How eager he's been to gather Jerusalem under his wing. And they could not see. And they have not turned to him. And we like that have become so accustomed to our living in this broken sight kind of world. Where we don't even notice God's salvation when he's standing right in the flesh before us. But in his mercy, Jesus, in the gospel reading, he points out this one moment where it will be unquestionably clear for us to see the beauty of God. What's that moment? You will see me when? When does he say? When I come back and you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. When is that? Do you all know? Palm Sunday. That's when the king comes to sit on his throne. He says, rest assured, there will be no doubt. I will come back. When you say this, you will see me for who I am. I think what he's referring to is that moment when he takes his throne, when he is seated in all glory and majesty and beauty on the cross. That's not the throne that everyone expected. But that's the throne that Jesus is saying, look, when you look to the cross, when you see the suffering and the death of the Son of Man, you will know. You will see the glory and the beauty of God. And under the wings of the cross, he has gathered up his people. This is the shelter that he offers us. When even through our broken vision, and even when we doubt that we can even really see God, those lenses of disbelief that we have, it all comes to focus when we look to the cross, to the crucified God, to the one, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we say in the liturgy. It seems quite upside down to us that in his humiliation, in this symbol, this moment of what we think is the death of God, the ultimate defeat we can begin to see the glory and the beauty of God like never before. His most clear, undoubtedly clear moments of expressing his love, his his love for us on the cross. It all comes into perfect focus in his death and even more so in his resurrection. This is really good news for us, you guys, because uh, we don't have to actually go to seminary to see the beauty of God. We don't even have to um, like have all of our stuff together and show up every Sunday, not miss a Sunday, to see the beauty of God. We, we don't even have to be like genuinely good people. Actually, nothing about seeing God is really dependent on us at all. What a scandal. Jesus says, look, it will be crystal clear to you, whoever you are, when you look to my cross, when you see the crucified God, the Lamb of God that comes to take away your sin, it will be in perfect, crystal clear, HD, full color clarity. Behold the beauty of God, who has come for you to take away your sin. (coughs) Friends, in the cross of Jesus, the psalmist's prayer is more realized, it kind of it, it, it becomes true in a, in a different way, more realized even than we can imagine. 
the enemy of sin and evil that has surrounded our lives, the trouble that we find ourselves in, has been defeated, has been done away with. Our broken vision is restored. That twisted vision that we may have has been healed in Jesus. And that one desire, that one thing that all of us, whether you believe in God or not, I think it's interesting that we all desire, because we really do, if you're honest with yourself, I think. That one thing that we really seek is finally made possible. That one thing, the death that Jesus Christ opens us for us, the ability to live in the house of the Lord, to dwell in his presence, to gaze upon his beauty, truly, and to inquire in his temple. Jesus makes that possible. This is where our gaze, this is where our watch is fixed this morning. Come see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, like the psalmist prays. This isn't just some abstract Christian religious idea, though. That's fantastic, John. That sounds wonderful. We're making a way more audacious claim, Christians are. We're saying that we can actually see the, the life of God unfolding and bringing us into it in the land of the living. Though we live in the land of the dead, God has come to bring us into the land of the living. Here and now given freely to us at this altar, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this invitation to the table, we don't just get to watch, but we actually get to see and behold the way David is saying. We actually get to enter into the life of God, to behold, to sit in His presence and be wrapped around the life of God for us. Our prayers do not fall on deaf ears despite what it may seem in the situation in life that you find yourself. God has answered our prayer. Even those prayers, even prayers you haven't prayed, He has answered them already. How? In the crucified one who is offered to us. He has answered those prayers. And continues to answer those prayers day in and day out. Our God is not far off. Whatever you may think you see, He is not far off. But He draws near even now. And we are invited to behold His beauty and experience His goodness in an actual, tangible, real way. Not just metaphorically, but we actually get to behold and consume the goodness of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, who with the Holy Spirit and God the Father live and reign still today here in Austin, now and forever. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.